It's incredible to see just what God did at Falls Creek. It was, it was awesome. Uh, so happy 4th of July, everyone. I'm so grateful for this day uh, because we get to celebrate the freedom that we have. We get to celebrate the rights that we have. And uh, as a Latino, I get to celebrate the opportunity that I have because my whole family is from Mexico. Uh, but I was the first one to be born in the United States. So I'm grateful for all of that. I say, hey, I'm a U.S. citizen and I can do all these things. And so I'm just grateful for 4th of July. And I'm so grateful to see how the Lord has, with his word, use that in order to inspire people, to influence people with the Declaration of Independence, with the Founding Fathers, I just think it's incredible. Because you could say that some of these Founding Fathers probably didn't profess Jesus to be their Lord and their Savior, but they had a reverence, they had a knowledge of the Bible of saying this Bible needs to influence all that we do even with the founding documents. It has to be a guiding tool. And so I love that. And so, uh, you know, I also know that with our country, these freedoms and these rights and this opportunity is not exactly free. It was paid by a price that's more valuable than money. It was paid by the sacrifice of individuals who said, I will fight and I will be here and I will sacrifice myself for the people of this country. And so I want to show you a picture of two of my friends uh, that just now joined to serve. And I can't share with you their name. I can't share with you what they're doing. Uh, but I want to let you know that I love and respect them. And so if you have served, if you are serving or if you will serve, thank you. And what I love about this picture <laughs> is that it was actually taken right after the Murph Challenge. And some of you might be thinking, what is the Murph Challenge? Look, I don't blame you. I didn't know what the Murph Challenge was until I stepped into the gym. I was like, yeah, what are we doing? And so here's what the Murph Challenge is. The Murph Challenge is you have to run a mile and then you have to do 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups, and then 300 air squats and then run another mile. It's rough. It's tough. It's, it, was, it was really hard. And so taking this picture, I'm actually really surprised I can lift up my arms because I was so sore and stiff. I was like, okay, let's take a picture. This is great. This is awesome. Uh, and so I'm really grateful for them uh, because when I look at them and when I think of uh, just the people who serve, I never want to grow numb. I would never want to grow numb of the sacrifice that they are making that others have made. I don't want to grow numb of that sacrifice just like I never want to grow numb of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. I never want to grow numb because they and others had a great answer to why do you sacrifice for our country? They have a great answer to it. But when we look at Jesus and why he sacrificed for us, he has one big answer. He goes, I did it out of love. I sacrificed myself for you in love. And so you might be asking, okay, who's this guy on stage? Like, why, why is he up here? Well, my name is Misael Gonzalez, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I'm one of the pastors of this church. And I have to tell you, I'm just so grateful to be here with you this morning. I cherish these moments with you because usually I'm on the Tulsa campus. And so to be here at the Owasso campus is just a lovely thing for me. And uh, every time I see people and I'm like, hey, what's up, what's up? They go, hey, Misael, how's everything in Tulsa? So... I'm glad, I'm glad you asked. So here are my two responses I give to people. So the first response is this. God is moving and answering prayers in such a way uh, it's just blowing my mind. Like in August, we will most likely have around 25 new members coming from that campus. Yeah, we can celebrate that. It's amazing. God is setting the stage. 
for our church to be a bilingual family of faith. To where whether you speak English or Espanol, which is Spanish, we are communicating the greatest message in the world about the greatest king in the world. And it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And then here's my second answer when someone asks me, hey, how's everything going? I usually say, well, come check it out. Come check it out yourself and see what God is doing because it's absolutely incredible. And so I want to encourage you to do that if you haven't gone yet uh, to go visit on a Sunday. And so we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So as you're turning there, I want to make sure we're, we're on the same page together. Uh, and so we are in this series called Love Is. Love is. And I think this is an incredible and important series for us because there's a lot of these definitions floating around of what is love and, and maybe different people define it different ways. And so what does the Bible say that love is? And so one thing I hope that we capture throughout this entire series is that we have to remember who love is in a world that has distorted what love is. We have to remember who love is in a world that has distorted what love is. And I hope that's something that we capture together. And so if you're with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, let's go ahead and stand together out of the respect and reverence and love of God's word. We're going to read the whole chapter. So starting in verse 1, it says, If I speak in tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give all my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord, and praise be to God. Amen. And so we read the whole chapter, but we're actually going to focus in verse 4. And so last Sunday, you guys looked at the beginning of verse 4, which says love is patient, love is kind. And so now we're going to look at that part B, you could say. So that part B is the part that says it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. And what I want you to get from the Apostle Paul right here, what he's doing is that he's defining what love is and then what love is not. 
And here's our big sermon idea I want us to capture. So if you're writing notes, here's the big sermon idea. Be the first to love. Be the first to love. I want to remind you of John 3.16. And it's a passage you might be familiar with, a passage you might not be familiar with. But it's interesting how it says that God sent because he loved. He sent his one and only son because he loved. It, it, what's fascinating is that it doesn't say like God sent to see and to test the waters if he could love us. You know what I mean? He wasn't like, okay, let's see if these guys are lovable. No, no, no. He, he sent because he loved. He already loved us and that's why he sent. And it reminds me of 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. That clearly states to us that God loved us first. And that is why we can love. And it is because that God loved us first that we can love. And because of that, maybe we should be the first to love others. And that's why we have this sermon idea of be the first to love. And so the first thing I want us to see here in verse 4, this B part is this. Is that love is benevolent. Love is benevolent. This is a positive way of saying love does not envy. Love does not envy. And so there might be some of you that are really familiar with this word envy. And maybe some of you are not very familiar. And so what I want to do is I want to help us define what is envy. And so if you are to take your computer out and then type in envy and then, you know, double click it and then go to synonyms and then look at the synonyms, here's what you would find. Envy is greed. Jealousy, covetousness, resentment, or spite. This kind of envy is a, is a kind of jealousy that makes you mad at someone or mad at a person because they have what you want or what you desire. This is the kind of envy that we're talking about. And if we're honest with ourselves, probably all of us have been envious at one moment. We've been greedy at one moment. We've been jealous in that kind of way and got mad at someone. And it's okay because we're human. We're not going to stay that way. And so when we look at this, envy affects everybody. It affects everybody. So think of, think of this. Maybe you already do this, but uh, think of when you're on the playground. I don't know if you still play on the playground, but you're playing and, you know, the bell's about to ring and someone's like on the swing set and they're swinging. You're like, that's awesome. I want to do that. Then the bell rings and then you can't. And then you get mad because it's like, I wanted to be on the swing set. And you have to go and do class. Envious. Or, or maybe, maybe you're an older sibling and uh, your younger sibling gets the newest iPhone. And you're like, what? How does he get a new iPhone? I saw the iPhone 4. See, that happened to me. My brother's right there. He, he can tell you. I was like, oh, I got so mad. Or, or maybe you look at your family or you look at your friends and you say, why does it seem that they are more blessed why does it seem that they have the better house and the better car and, and they have the better family situation? You see, envy affects all of us. It affects who we are, what we do. And you could put it this way, envy is dangerous to mankind. It's dangerous because it fractures relationships. Envy fractures relationships. I, I want to point to Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. And I want to remind you in this moment where because of Cain's sin, he didn't give God the, the, the honor and the sacrifice that God deserved. But then his brother Abel, 
He's the one that gave God the sacrifice and the honor that God deserved and God blessed him. And Cain got really mad and what did he do? He, in his envy, not only did he not give God what he deserved, but he killed Abel. He killed and there's this fractured relationship because of envy. Now take even a step back and we see at the Garden of Eden, you have Adam and Eve, they were envious of who God was. They wanted to be like God. So what they do, they disobey God, they do their own way, which again represents this envy and how it fractures relationships. You see, it starts that way. It starts with this fractured relationship. But because of God's love for us and because he loved us first, and he mended that relationship with us. And so in a way you could say this, that envy fractures relationships. Envy fractures relationships while love forms relationships. Love forms relationships. And that's why we say in a positive manner that love is benevolent. So I want you to look at verse 4 with me. I find this absolutely interesting. Paul is describing love. He's not using it or treating it as a, as a verb. And, and here's what I mean. It says love is patient. It doesn't say love is patience. It says love is kind. It doesn't say love is kindness. What he's talking about here is he's trying to communicate and help you understand that love is first a noun before it's ever a verb. Because God himself is love. God is the complete embodiment of love. And it reminds me of 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 8 that says, Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. You see, Paul and even John are describing and setting the example that God himself is love. That not only is he loving, but he's love. Not only does he show kindness, but he's kind. Not only does he show patience, but he is patient. Not only is he giving, but he is the giver. God is benevolent, and that is why love is benevolent. And so I've been using this word benevolent a little bit. And so you might be asking me, Saeed, what does benevolent even mean? So again, if you take your computer out, type in benevolent, double click it, go to synonyms and look at some of the words. Here are some things you might find about this word benevolent. Benevolent means good, giving, caring, compassionate, generous. And what's beautiful about God is God is not just benevolent. He is omni-benevolent. And this word omni is this word used for all, meaning that God is omnibenevolent, signifying that he is all loving, he is all good, he is all caring, he is all righteous. And as I say, as I say those things, you might be like, okay, Misael, that, that's cool, but I don't know. Like these things have happened in my, in my life. I don't know, I just... I'm really doubting right now because why do all of these bad things happen to good people? Why does evil exist? You know, I can almost see the questions on your faces. Like, come on, Misai, like, I hear what you're saying, but I just don't understand. You see, our youth students had the same exact same questions. I had the privilege of going to False Creek with our high school students. And uh, I had the privilege, and, and Andrew let me, uh, to lead a breakout. And in this breakout, the breakout was called Questioning Your Doubts. Questioning Your Doubts. And the reason I did this breakout is because I think the church needs to provide more places and spaces for people to ask the question, why? Why? 
And some of them are, are intellectual questions. Some of them come from the heart of saying, I've been hurt. But then I don't want to leave them just asking why. I want, I want them to leave saying, why am I asking why? You know what I mean? And so our youth students are really, really smart. Here's some of the questions that they asked. Here's the first one. Why is God okay with sending the people who have never heard of any type of religion to hell? If God is almighty, why does he let Satan get to us? How do we really know how accurate the Bible is? Why do bad things happen? Why does God let them happen? Why do we find most of our troubles after being saved? Why do bad things happen to godly people? Why is it so hard to stay faithful to God when it feels like everything is going wrong? Anybody relate to those questions? Those were great questions from our youth students and questions that they wanted to be answered. And as we, as we discussed those questions, I had to be really careful and I wanna be careful in this room because sometimes, if not all the time, these questions don't really come from an intellectual state, but they come from a place of hurt. Of saying, I mean, I, I've just been hurt and I'm questioning why I'm, I'm, I'm hurt and I'm kind of resentful to God of why this is happening in my life. And so I want to give you three things that I, that I told them. And I wish I had like seven hours to answer every single one of these questions because there's so much to talk about but I don't have that time this morning. So I want to give you these three things. The first thing I told them is you have to think about free will. Free will. You see, there is such a thing called true love. And true love can exist because of true freedom. And true freedom leads to true choice. You see that in the Garden of Eden where God gave the opportunity for Adam and Eve to always choose God. But at one moment they didn't. So they didn't choose God. Because if God forced his love on us, it wouldn't be love. We'd be like robots. And so God wants us to love him. So there's something called free will. And this free will introduced sin. So this is the second thing. The second thing I told him, I said, who is actually good? You see, your question is, why do bad things happen to good people? But who's actually good? The answer to that that we see in the Bible is that nobody is good. Nobody is good. We are sinful and sin is a big deal. Like if anything, I glorify the Lord and I praise him because in his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness, like he doesn't just zap us. You know what I mean? We are sinful and he can just zap us. He's, he's a perfect God. And I want, I want to point you to Romans chapter 3 verses 11 and 12 that say this. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away they have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. But then Psalms 145 verse 17 says this. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. Psalms 100 verse 5 says, For the Lord is good, his kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. You see, we are imperfect human beings who can never always choose God. We can't. And that's why we need Jesus. And we see Jesus being fully man and fully God. And he was the only one who can always choose God. And that's why we need him. 
And so the third thing I pointed them to was God's promises. God's promises. You know there's a promise from God that we don't really talk about a lot. It's found in uh, John 16.33. So you can write that down. John 16.33. Here's a promise from God we don't talk about a lot. It says this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. That's a promise that you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Because we still live in the presence of sin, bad things are still going to happen. But Jesus said, take heart, I've overcome the world. This is why we can say that God is benevolent. There is no envy in him. And so as I think of an application of this, I think of who God is. And there are people, there are religions that say that, you know, our God is up almighty, he's, he's on high, and, and he's just, he's waiting for you to make a mistake. So you can just say, oh man, there, I, I killed that one. Oh man, good luck, never. You see, that's not the God of the Bible. Because there's no hope in that. You see, God, who was in his, all, in his almighty on high, he, he came down to us. He, he, didn't, he didn't just pride himself, but he, he humbled himself. And so as I think of Jesus, Jesus wasn't envious. Like imagine Jesus on the cross. He wasn't envious on the cross. He didn't, he didn't look at us as humans and say, man, I wish I was you right now. I mean, I so wish I wasn't on this cross and that I was just like you down there. But instead, because of his love, he suffered for us. He hung there suffering and giving himself up willingly for us. And that's an application for us. And uh, it reminds me of, of John 15, verse 3. That says this, There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And so as I think of Jesus, we have to remember who love is. In a world that has distorted what love is. Because who is love? Well, this is this Jesus hanging on the cross. And because he first loved us, we can be the first to love. We can be the first to be benevolent. And so that's what we see here. We can be the first to give of our time, to give of our effort, to give of our attention, to give of our resources, to give our abilities rather than take. Because when we are benevolent, that means we are givers and not takers. So we've seen that love is benevolent. The next thing I want to point us to is that love is present. Love is present. Again, this is the positive way of saying that love does not boast and that love is not proud. And so, you know, most of you might actually be very familiar with this word boast. But I think we have to define it again for us because this word boast in Greek is a word that Paul doesn't use very often. If not, it's really hard to find in the New Testament. And so then, here's, here's the Greek word. I want you to try to say this five times or tell your neighbor this word. This word is this. Perpeumai. Perpeumai. Try saying that five times. Perpeumai. <laughs> it's still super hard. But this word, perpeumai, its definition is interesting. It says bragging without foundation. Perpeumai. Bragging without foundation. That means you're lying and bragging all at the same time. Like there's, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. 
And so this word boast is perpurumai, bragging without foundation. And it talks about being proud. And, and this proud in this context is about displaying this kind of self-esteem that puts others down to elevate yourself. It's about making somewhere lesser than. And so this whole verse right here about do not boast, do not be proud, when it talks about perpurumai, it's pointing all to that love is humble. But it's a type of humility that is intentional and present. That's why we say that love is present. Have you ever talked to someone, um, or maybe you know somebody who's just really, really prideful? There's someone who just, just talks about themselves all the time. And if, and if you don't know that person, that person's probably you. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, take that in for a second. Because we all know those kind of people that just talk about themselves and talk about themselves. And, and there are moments that like, I have friends that are like that. And there are moments where I'm like, wow, I could literally leave and you'd just be still talking about yourself. Like, I don't even know why I'm still here. Like, you, just, you can just keep talking. We all know those people where you say, wow, like, you're, you're present, but you're not really present. Like, I know you're on earth, but man, you're consumed in your own little world. Your own little world. They're not really present. They're not really here. They're consumed with themselves. And so when I think about this, I like to turn to the ESV translation because it actually translates the word boast to arrogance. Arrogance. And I think this is a great word for us because love is not arrogant. Love is present. Love is not arrogant. Love is present. And the reason I say that is because arrogance leads to absence. Arrogance leads to absence and humility and love lead to presence. Like I talked about with, you know, this, these religions where people think that God is some God on high and he's just arrogant and proud and he is separated. You see, that's not the God of the Bible. God didn't just separate himself, but he made the way to restore that relationship with us. He's intentional. He's a personal God. He's the one true God. He didn't just stay in heaven. And, and it reminds me of John chapter 1, verse 14. It says this, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Jesus is the perfect Son of God. He's the Holy One. He is the Word of God. He's the holy and divine uh, second person of the Trinity who has every right to be prideful and to boast, but he didn't. Because he came down to our filth and put on filthy rags, a.k.a. human flesh. He put on flesh knowing that he had to save us from ourselves. He had to save us from our own sin. And he's the only one who can transform us. And in light of that, we need Jesus. That's what we see here. And, and what I love about God is that God is just so beautiful. Because not only is God present, but he is omnipresent. And do you guys remember what omni means? It means all. He is all present. That means he is everywhere at all times and all places. And God has already seen history play out, which is absolutely incredible. But I don't want you to think that parts of God is present everywhere. That's a, that's a really small view of God. 
But I want you to have a really big view of God to where the entirety of who God is, the wholeness of who God is, God himself fully is at all places and at all times. Because that is who he is. He is everywhere at all times. And and I want to point to you to some verses here. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 3 says this. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch of the evil and the good. Psalm 139 verses 7 to 10 says this. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, there you are. If I make my bed in Sheol, which is the deepest of depths, there you are. If I take wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. Your right hand shall hold me. Jeremiah 23 verse 24 says this. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill the heaven and the earth, declares the Lord. And then in Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, at the very end you see Jesus saying, and I will be with you always. I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And he says this because he had told us that he was going to send the Holy Spirit to us to be with us and in us and work through us. You see, all of who God is shows us that love is not self-boosting. Love is humble. Love is present. But then you might ask, okay, but what should we boast in? What should we boast in? And we actually sang a little bit about that. So I want to point you to Galatians chapter 6, verse 14, that says this. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. If we're going to boast in anything, it should be in the cross of Christ, the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the reason I say that is because we have to understand the dangers of envy, the dangers of arrogance. Because if you remember, envy fractures relationships. It fractures them. And then arrogance, I would dare say, destroys relationships. Arrogance destroys relationships. But then... We can say that love forms relationships. Love restores relationships. You see, the reason I say these things about envy and about arrogance is because too many times I have seen and I continue to see how because of someone's arrogance, they say, you know what, I'm too good for my family now. And so they leave. I can find better this. I can find better that. I can find better somebody. And so they arrogantly think of themselves as more than, and they leave their family. I also find people who are so arrogant that say, you know what, I don't need church. I don't need church. I I can be holy all by myself. I don't need people to hold me accountable because, you know, I'm just the best Christian ever. Man, that is is arrogant. Because as a human being, I fail time and time again. And so how can we fight all of this? How can we fight envy and arrogance? The way we fight it is looking at the cross of Christ. Looking at him because we just saw that Jesus didn't have any envy at the cross. He didn't say, I wish I was you. He was humble and he stood there. 
Because when we look at the cross of Christ, I don't want you to miss this. When we look at the cross of Christ, we remember that we are first sinners before we are sinned against. We are first sinners before we are sinned against. I heard a, a pastor at the Southern Baptist Convention say that, and it stuck with me. And I don't remember which pastor it was because I heard so many people talk. But I think it's so true. It's so true to remember that we are first sinners before ever being sinned against by someone. And so when we look at the cross of Christ, that's what we remember because at the cross, Jesus wasn't boasting. He didn't say, hey, look at me. I'm the coolest ever in the whole world. He didn't say, hey, look at me. I'm better than you. Though he is better than us. And no, I think Jesus is the coolest person in the world. That's not what he was saying. If anything, he stayed there quietly suffering for us, taking the pain that we should have felt, taking the judgment that should have been ours, paying the price that we should have paid because of our sin. And so how do we fight these? We look at the cross of Christ. And when we think of all of that, we understand that he loved us first. That means that we can love first. So I want to end with this. We can be the first to be patient. We can be the first to be kind. We can be the first to be benevolent. We can be the first to be present. And then we can be the first to love. So let's bow our heads together. And I want to give you a moment to just reflect. I want to give you a moment to pray and to take in, Lord, Lord, what are you, what are you telling me? What are you, what have you told me? Because maybe today you just need to celebrate. You need to celebrate, celebrate, and say, Lord, thank you so much that you have reminded me of your love. Maybe today, in light of what you've heard, you say, Lord, I need to confess my sin. I'm reminded of your love for me. I'm reminded that you have been patient and kind benevolent, good, and put in my life. Or maybe today is the first time that you've understood that you are sinful and broken and you need Jesus to put you back together. You've understood that God's love is enough for you. His sacrifice is enough for you. You see, today is a day that you, that you can put your faith and trust in him and he is faithful to forgive he is faithful to transform you from the inside out. And I want to ask you, if you're at home right now watching, I want to ask you, would you be so bold and to say, that's me. And he says, that's me. I need Jesus. And then if you're in this room right now with me, I would ask you if you'd be so bold, if you say, that's me, to raise your hand and look at me. And say, Misael, that's me. I need Jesus. Lord, you are almighty, you are all powerful. And Lord, I'm so grateful that you have loved us first. Lord, I'm so grateful that we can know who love is in a world that has distorted what love is. Thank you that you teach us what love is and what love is not. And so God, I pray that through your Holy Spirit that you would help us, Lord, be the first to love in whatever place we find ourselves in. 
in whatever situation we find ourselves in, that we would be the first to love all people to Christ. And so I pray just a blessing uh, over these people. I pray a blessing over our church. God, that you would help us be individuals who consistently and constantly pursue you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.